the kids said over and over, we're kind of like a family now. They found out how to hurt one another, and they found out how it feels to hurt in that way, and they refused to hurt one another in that way again. And now for something completely different. Welcome to Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. From the southwestern United States of America deserts of Scottsdale, Arizona, across the sea and around the globe, this is the Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. Hi, this is Tony Dufresne, PhD, your host. I hope everybody's doing great. Everybody everywhere, uh, the virus is kicking in high gear again. No surprise whatsoever, you know, because when you open things up too early, that's kind of what happens. We have no vaccine. So, you know, logically, it would just make sense that it would just go away. Everything being what it is now, I thought this would be a great time to bring up one of my absolute favorite research things that I have ever come across. Combined with a relatively new research study on teaching philosophy to kids. So I want to start this off by talking about this teacher back in the 60s, and her name was Jane Elliott. And on the day after Martin Luther King's assassination in April of 1968, she had a class of third graders, and she went into the class in this all-white town of Riceville, Iowa. And, of course, everybody was, was confused and upset and crying and very distraught because they recently made Martin Luther King the hero of the month in their class, And they could not, for the life of them, figure out why somebody would want to kill him. So at that point, Jane Elliott decided to teach a class a daring lesson in the meaning of discrimination. Because she wanted to show the kids what discrimination feels like and what it can do to people. And she divided her class by eye color. She had the blue-eyed kids and the brown-eyed kids. And on the first day, the blue-eyed kids were told they were smarter nicer, neater, and better than those with brown eyes. So throughout the day, Elliot praised them and allowed them privileges such as taking a longer recess and being the first on the lunch line. And in contrast, the brown-eyed kids had to wear collars around their necks and their behavior and performance were criticized and ridiculed by Elliot. Now, on the second day, they were reversed. And the blue-eyed kids had to wear the collars and were made to feel inferior, while the brown-eyed kids were designated as the dominant group and told that they were nicer and neater and better. So what happened over the course of the two-day exercise was really unbelievable. Because on both days, the kids who were designated as inferior took on the look and the behavior of genuinely inferior students. They performed worse on tests and other work. Now, in contrast, the superior students, so day one, it was the blue-eyed kids. Day two, it was the brown-eyed kids. This is the superior students on those days, the ones that had been sweet and tolerant before the exercise started, became mean-spirited and seemed to like discriminating against the inferior group. So after the exercise was over on day three, and when the debriefing started and they started asking the kids questions about what happened, the kids came together. They felt good about one another. They created instant cousins. The kids said over and over, we're kind of like a family now. They found out how to hurt one another, and they found out how it feels to hurt in that way, and they refused to hurt one another in that way again. 
And that's why kids are awesome. Their minds haven't been twisted yet. Elementary school kids, they got it. It makes you wonder why philosophy or character training or values training isn't done as a part of the curriculum in school. Because if Jane Elliott's class can do a experiment like this with kids of that age, understanding that they haven't bought into the agenda of an insecure, race-based, exclusionary lifestyle, then why isn't it taught now? Which is the question behind the study that I'm going to mention right now. And the question of the study was, should primary schools be teaching philosophy? And the study was done in the UK. It was called Philosophy for Children, and it involved 42 schools and 3,000 kids. And what it did was it created a little subclass, and it talked about critical thinking, it talked about communication skills, it talked about self-confidence, it talked about a sense of fairness and empathy, awareness. All of those skills, mind you, solid research has shown throughout the years, directly relate to success in life. And what they did was they had the kids together and they gave them certain scenarios. And then they broke the kids up into groups and the kids would talk in the groups about the things that had happened in the scenarios. Were they fair? You know, it, it, they talked about uh, race issues. They talked about inequalities. Uh, they talked about just making certain decisions during the day that would maybe negative, negatively impact somebody else, even though it creates a positive result for themselves. It focused on helping kids become more willing and able to question, reason, construct arguments, and collaborate. And the dialogues that they that they tried to formulate when they got the kids together and they took out certain questions to ponder and have the kids talk about in a group setting, the dialogues were around truth and fairness. And they also talked a lot about bullying as well and the philosophical aspects of bullying and, and why it's there and if it even needs to be there in the first place. Now, the results of this study were very positive where the kids showed development in reasoning skills and the understanding of the concepts. They improved their social skills, their teamwork, and their resilience levels. And they improved their ability to empathize and have higher levels of tolerance for different opinions. And the interesting part about all of that is when they took a look at the data, they found that the disadvantaged kids that took part in the study actually were more profoundly affected. So if you can get positive results in a class 40 years ago, and if you can get positive results with 3,000 kids over in England over the last couple of years, the rhetorical question is, why aren't they doing that? But that's not the question I want to ask you. The question I would like to ask is, how can we as citizens that understand the power of this and know the efficacy of these studies How can we take this knowledge and go about our lives and directly or indirectly impact people that way as well? So as in any teaching, the best way to deliver that is to deliver it in modeling, is to show them based upon your own actions, is to be the change you want to see. It's so incredibly powerful. So taking a chapter from the kids in Jane Elliott's class 40 years ago, taking a chapter from the kids who went through philosophy training, the key is to every single day ground ourselves in the understanding that we have the power, we have the ability to create change in every single interaction that we have, be it directly or indirectly, because the energy moves. Everything is energy. 
Everything's relationships. So if you take a look at from that perspective, what you're doing is you're just sharing your energy into a different relationship bubble with somebody else or some other situation. The energy you put out goes somewhere. And, and if it's if it's good, solid energy, that's going to make a positive impact. If it's negative juju, that's going to make an impact too. So decide every single day, every single minute of every single day, what's going to be your message? What do you want to see change in your life and how can you model that change? Because if the kids can do it back in the 60s and if the kids can do it in philosophy class in the UK, you can certainly do it and so can I. And a little tip, if you run up against anybody who is so entrenched in toxic thinking or ideology, the easiest thing to do is just to ask them questions. Just keep asking them questions about origin. Keep asking them, I like to call it the Genesis question. And the Genesis question is you're trying to get to the origin of their beliefs. Now, the fun part about it is they don't even know because it's not their belief to begin with. But if you continue to ask them, not not to confront them, but just to ask them questions. Oh, okay, well, why do you think that? Oh, well, where did that come from? Oh, okay, well, if that's this, then where, where did this, then how is this? Or how does this make any sense? And if you continue to offer up in terms of being inquisitive and wanting and wanting to understand their perspective, it will jack them up. And most of the time, because their beliefs and their ideologies are not based on their true beliefs and ideologies. They're based on being twisted by some other entity or in the past. They'll get frustrated and they may just leave or shut it down or try to redirect the conversation, but I guarantee it, it is in their head. And that is how you model the change you want to see. I hope things are good. Javabud.com for everything. Alexa flash briefings. And whatever platform you happen to be listening on, I would really appreciate a rate and review. It really helps me, especially with 749,000 change other podcasts out there. I want us all to be a part of a team that uh, models change and does good things. And the bigger the team, the better. If you want a copy of the new revised book, I'll be more than happy to send you a PDF copy of it. Let me know, Tony at javabud.com. All I want you to do is to email me afterwards and let me know what you think about it. That's it. I hope things are great. I'll talk to you next week. I'm too tired to pretend I don't want to be alone. I'm calling all.